0: Okay, so before we begin, just a couple of announcements of a more practical nature. For any of you who are driving, you don't need to fret that you're going to be stuck here for eternity. (laughs) This storm is meant to clear by tonight. It will be gone. The other thing is, you hopefully, well... Most people make regular visits to the board, but for those of you who don't, um, today's a day of events. <laughs> They're going to be testing the fire alarm this morning. Um, nothing we can do about that. Um, so when we hear this, it'll be a wake-up call. Think of it that way. <laughs> Think of it as a mindfulness bell. Ding. You really can't avoid it. Um, But, you know, when you hear these little bursts, it's nothing to worry about. We don't all have to flee or anything like that. You know, we just kind of let it come, let it go. Except if it stays on, then we have to go. (laughs) When it gets warm. When it gets warm, we have to go. (laughs) Over the days so far you've probably noticed how much we have actually really emphasized this quality of intentionality. This is in, its intention that sets us on a path. It's intention that takes us out of the world of impulse and habit. And it's sometimes said you know, in this teaching that the entire path rests upon the head of the pin of intention. It is something that is cultivated. And intention is actually cultivated. And not just once. Intention is something that is reset and reset and reset. You know, perhaps a 100 times in a single sitting. Every time we're returning from being lost, every time we find ourselves being carried by a surge of impulse or uh, emotional or psychological habits, We're learning to reset that intention. It is so central in a path of cultivation. And it's truly, I think, a quality and an action, a gesture that we really need to befriend because there's so much that gathers around intention. How we reset intention is very important. We can reset intention begrudgingly. With judgment, with blame, with despair, or we can know that is actually we are just beginning again. And the Buddha talked a lot about the attitudinal basis, the attitudinal intentions that really underpin the entire path of meditative development. And he didn't talk about these things as something you develop later on in your practice, these are actually the beginnings so much around the intention of kindness, of befriending, that primary attitude, which it is actually easy to forget, because that primary attitude is sitting or coexisting with many of our more familiar or habitual patterns that are not always so kind. Kindness, compassion that we will speak about and unpack much more today, what is meant by that word. And this third intention, this third quality brought into our practice of renunciation. It's not an easy word for many Westerners to embrace. It's something quite countercultural, isn't it? You don't, you know, open a magazine and see the encouragement let go. You don't okay. see it in, our, in any of our kind of media, it's, it's not a highly lauded quality. But in this path, it surely is. And we need to be mindful of our associations with renunciation as somehow a kind of trek into deprivation or austerity or coldness or bleakness or any of those things. The way that renunciation is spoken about in this path is certainly as a gesture of metta, a gesture of kindness, as a path to happiness, as a moment-to-moment embodiment of awakening and liberation. Because what we are concerned about with renunciation, of course, is the renunciation of dukkha, the optional, emotional, psychological distress. We're talking about the capacity to release that and the capacity to release its causes through understanding. I think for many people in practice, this whole dimension of intentional renunciation is often somewhat puzzling. You know how how do I do it? Because most of us will at least have had some experience of trying to do it by will, shouting at ourselves to let go, rebuking ourselves, telling you know, scolding ourselves. Have you ever done that? You know, have you ever had somebody else tell you, "Why don't you just let go"? It's usually. Triggers some other kind of response. <laughs> There's many qualities involved in renunciation. One of them certainly is, you know, or two of them actually, refrain and restrain. Refrain and restrain, and you've probably noticed in the way we've talked about the Brahma Viharas, this, this sense about, you know, what, it, what is done in the world. What is engaged in? What is enacted? What is embodied? Noticing that we are always practicing something. Refrain and restrain. Being able to see impulses arise. Being able to know on the, root, on the basis of understanding you know that this is not helpful. This is a kind of an enactment of a certain impulse which will leave many residues in the mind. Refrain and restrain, think about how this applies inwardly. How many of our thoughts, how many of our internal monologues are the patterns we see arising? They're often very, very familiar, aren't they? Very, very familiar. How many times we've been around the loop of obsession or preoccupation or you know kind of anxiety or you know, regret. We've been around those loops a lot of times. You know, it's not like our mind is always such a surprise. And sometimes, you know, the well is dry. There's not one more drop of insight to be squeezed out of that loop. There's <laughs> a certain relief sometimes in being able to acknowledge that. Now we're looking at a habit pattern. We're looking at a habit pattern. It is indeed possible with sufficient mindfulness to actually see, know those loops, know those habit patterns, and know there may be another pathway that can be walked, that refrain and restrain from feeding that which leads away from liberation, that which leads away from ease and peace, the refrain and the restraint from feeding, which has a lot to do with intention, doesn't it? I return to actually what is tangible. I return to what is available to me in this moment where I can actually ground Mindfulness, anchor, mindfulness, stepping out of the loop. This actually does take a little bit of effort. It doesn't come so easily because we can feel the tug of the old stories, the tug of the old loops, with the tug of the old narratives, even though part of us knows the well is dry. We still feel the tug of the habit pattern. So restraint, you know, refraining from feeding, takes a little bit of effort. But is it is an effort of kindness. It's not an effort of shaming or blaming, it's an effort of kindness. How do I reset that intention? Intention guides us back to what is more skillful. I think renunciation is not always so complicated. This quality of releasing, the quality of unbinding. It's not a command structure. You know, when we're shouting at ourselves to let go, I really need to let go, you can sort of feel the kind of emotional tones of aversion in that. We're often just wanting something to go away, often just wanting something to stop. In this teaching, you know, I think it's pretty clearly understood that um, there's a continuum within all processes when they are unexamined and when they are unquestioned. And uh, clinging, grasping, which is the opposite, of course, of enunciation. It's really simply the continuum, the intensification, the magnification of craving and aversion. These are quite the opposite qualities of what we've been speaking about in terms of kindness and compassion. So we see this continuum. This is very easy for, well, it becomes easier for us to spot in our own experience. You know, you can start with just a little irritation. The sound outside the window. You can feed that. IMS is supposed to be a silent retreat center. <laughs> you can feel yourself feeding it. Oh, I need to go to the forest refuge. You know, it's not so quiet here, you know. Even that's not quiet. I saw this so so much in my own practice. I've seen this so much. I remember, you know, living in India. You know, I started in a village. You know, by com- By our most standards, this was a pretty quiet place. You know, too much noise. I can't practice here. I moved up the mountain. You know, found a little hut on the mountain, pretty quiet. Cows. You know, (laughs) can't practice here. You know, I moved further up the mountain. You know, I was getting higher and higher all the time. You know, put blankets on the windows. You know, even sights. You know, couldn't I couldn't bear. You know, and then there were monkeys. Jumping up and down on my roof, and there was a very, very awakening moment when I found myself outside this cottage hot, hut, shanty, shouting at the monkeys. <laughs> and then I knew there was something really I wasn't seeing here. <laughs> but you can feel that escalation, but it relies upon feeding relies upon feeding, And this is where intention is truly a refuge. Remembering that capacity to reset that attitudinal quality of kindness, to see where craving and aversion is moving into clinging and grasping. So it becomes very evident to us that craving and aversion are the conditions of clinging. Kraven inversion are the conditions of grasping, contractedness, and creating and recreating dukkha over and over. So instead of shouting at ourselves to let go, we ask ourselves, what are the conditions of letting go? Now this is much more feasible. And the conditions of letting go are indeed mindfulness. They are indeed metta. They are indeed karuna. They are indeed equanimity. So again, these that we are cultivating the conditions that allow letting go to actually happen by itself. You have seen this, I'm sure, many, many times in your own experience, that sometimes in here or in your walking path, you will practice and you can feel the underlying attitude, one of anxiety or one of aversion or contractedness, a memory might arise, a thought might arise, something that is difficult, and you can just feel it just sticks. just sticks and you feel the attention contract around it. Another time you can be walking or sitting with a far more deeply rooted in an attitude of kindness, of spaciousness. Exactly the same thought arises, but it just moves on through. What has changed is not the content. What has changed actually is the climate of mind. Think about how that translates into our life into the many events, experiences, sounds, sights that we are exposed to? What is the climate of heart and mind in which they stick, in which we see the kind of the clinging? What is the climate in which there is much more of this ease where actually we're far more aligned with process? Things arising and also passing. we could say indeed that kindness, compassion, all that we are doing here are really the conditions for non clinging, which is where of course, the brahharas are so interwoven with the Satipatthanas you know of, of of mindfulness of insight of understanding of a path that is dedicated to to liberation so today in in your own practice, this is something to to just keep checking in with, you know. What is the climate of mind to notice those movements from opening to being able to receive to see to actually this kind of contractedness, this closing, where there's far more stickiness present, you know, where things linger, and just sensing what is that climate of mind? You now, what is it supporting that contractedness? being able to come back into the body, being able to reset the attitude and the intention, most specifically of metta. What does it mean to be near to that contractedness, to stand close to that contractedness, to explore it, to befriend it, to include it, rather than feeling, well, metta begins when this is over. Metta begins then with that kind of resetting of intention and attitude. So again, just taking our seat, posture of balance, of uprightness. Noticing, mindful, aware of your body, sitting, as alert, as upright as you're able to be. And soft within that uprightness. Softening in the areas of holding contractedness. just take in a moment just to to sense the climate of your mind, the climate of your heart in this moment. Is there a sense of ease or contractedness? Is there a sense of spaciousness, of calmness, Or of agitation, busyness. It's a simple knowing. Noticing in your body, mind, experience, if there's anything in this moment that is unpleasant, uncomfortable, in body sensation, in thought or in image, sensing what it is to stand near to that. to turn towards that, to befriend that. Cultivating the intentions inwardly of kindness, friendliness. May I be safe and protected? May I be peaceful? live with ease and with kindness. And in our listening to the echoes or responses, you plant those seeds of befriending, seeds of intention. Inviting into the field of your attention someone you think of as a benefactor. Someone you appreciate for their kindness, their support, their selflessness. If you can, visualizing that person, remembering them. In that sense of connection, listening inwardly to your own inner responses. May you be safe and protected. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. reflecting on a good friend, mindful of the many people who have been part of our lives, where there's been affection and care, tenderness, trust. Just bringing one forward into our attention. listening inwardly, may you be safe and protected, may you be peaceful, Live with ease and with kindness. Someone to mind you feel more indifferent towards. Might be someone here, the neighbour you've never spoken to, the person who serves you in the store. See what it is to see that person. who honor their longings for happiness, for peace, for care and longings to be free from pain and struggle. The inner world no different than our own. and see what it is to stand near to that person, to be close to. May you be safe and protected. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. Bringing to mind someone who is more difficult. Consciously inviting them into the field of your attention, your mindfulness. Allowing them just to be there. listening to what inner responses emerge, sensing what it is to stand steady within those responses and to stand near to them, near to that remembering of the difficult person May you be safe and protected. May you be peaceful. May you live with ease and with kindness. if it's possible to make one's home within those intentions, that quality of befriending, I be safe and protected. May I be peaceful. I live with ease and with kindness. Expanding the field of our attention to include everyone in this room, sensing what it is to stand in the midst of, near to, close to, quality of befriending, kindness, May we be safe and protected. May we be peaceful. with ease and with kindness. Just listening to your own body, mind, heart in this moment, sensing if there's anywhere where there's discomfort, or something unpleasant, something you tend to turn away from, a body sensation, sound, a thought, an image. Find what it is to turn towards that, to stand near to. May I be peaceful in the midst of this. (coughs) May I find ease and calmness and kindness in the midst of this. May all beings be safe and protected. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings live with ease and with kindness.
1: Okay, we have a walking session now, and really to remind you that what we're doing in the walking session is bringing the same qualities of attention and intention to the walking as we do to the sitting, to develop the same qualities of kindness as well in our ability to turn towards what we discover on our walking paths. So as I think I mentioned yesterday, this is not entirely different. This is not a separate practice. This is in fact deeply, deeply integrated. There is only practice. There is not walking and there is not sitting in a a secondary practice which we call walking, which happens to be an interruption between the sitting sessions. It's not like that at all. Um, What we're doing is developing exactly the same qualities, bringing exactly the same Um, states of mind to the practice as we do when we are sitting. So all the things that Christina has mentioned so far this morning, the quality of the intention, so important on the walking path to set our intention, what is our intention as we pursue this particular practice. To renew that as we are walking, when we are engaged on our walking path, to perhaps stop sometimes on the walking path to reset that intention and we might have to do that hundreds of times uh, over the course of the particular session of walking that we have. So this is not a failure by the way, Um, this is a reaffirmation, it's a reaffirmation of what we're engaged in and this is so important whether it be sitting, walking or any of the other postures that we um, take up when we're formally practicing. Um, that we keep reaffirming what we're engaged in, um, that we don't lose sight of it, that it doesn't become somehow automaton. So easy to become, particularly the walking, it can become such an automatic, almost habitual way of doing things. So we remind ourselves, and this is the true meaning of the sati within the walking, we remind ourselves, we recollect what we're engaged in, and by doing that we reset our intention whatever is arising. Be that physical sensations in the body, Uh, if you're walking outside, the coolness on your skin, the cold, uh, the wind, whatever it is, we note it and we turn towards it and we do so with the kindness that we've been trying to emphasize throughout. The one thing that always strikes me about the Buddha's path, again whether it be in any of the formal practices, is it's a path primarily of kindness, gentleness, friendliness. It's not a path where we are trying to make our lives more miserable. This is actually joyful. The walking, as I've often said when introducing walking, uh, when we see walking being done in some of the traditional cultures, particularly Sri Lanka, where I um, studied quite a bit, the walking is often done with a great big beaming smile on the face. Um, This is not... Um, uh, sort of kind of po-faced form of marching up and down until the end until you're released (laughs) to go back and sit (laughs) so this is actually something that we can attune ourselves to in a much much greater and friendlier way um, when we come to observe what is arising in our particular walking So the qualities of gentleness, the qualities of kindness, the qualities of friendliness that we're developing in our sitting practice, we can develop there on the walking path as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.